Hey, welcome back to the weekend edition of Outdoors Live on News Radio, the Mighty 790 KFGO. And I'm your host, Doug Lear. The last shot, the last shot for this weekend edition of Outdoors Live. Uh, we still have a Central Dakota Outdoors report with Pat Stockdale. We're going to get you a podcast extra with Bruin Agri Gone Outdoors, uh, and you can listen to them. You listen to Bruin Agri Gone Outdoors on Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. We know not everybody can listen to them on Saturday mornings. We know not everybody can listen to a podcast. So we break out a podcast extra for you each and every weekend. Before we do that, let's get you a Central Dakota Outdoors report with Pat Stockdale. You read her work in Dakota Country Magazine. She is an award-winning outdoors communicator, and she connects with uh, the people and the places, the bait shops, the gas stations, the motels, the resorts, the guides, to give us a better idea of where people are going, what they're doing, what they're finding outdoors. Well, Pat, what's cooking outdoors this week? Thanks, Doug. Well, in checking elsewhere around North Dakota, angling activity remains on the light side but Devil's Lake continues producing numbers of small walleye. While that hasn't changed, what has is that some larger fish are now showing up. Move around to locate those bigger ones, but most anglers continue working jigging wraps along structure, including rock piles and the bridges. Also try the north end of Creel or Six Mile Bays. Reports are limited elsewhere, although Lake Ashtabula continues kicking out some panfish, mainly perch and crappie. And for those anglers wanting to revert back to the good old days, look for some bullhead success as well. The Missouri River Tail Race Night Catfish Bite continues with a few walleye mixed in, but there's limited trout and salmon activity in the tail race. Also, the Spillway Channel Inlet is producing little walleye success during the day in the river. Activity on the east end of Lake Sakakawi is also light in terms of angler numbers seeking out walleye, with fall salmon probably getting the most attention. While it's still kind of slow, the fish are stacking up in shallow water, and the salmon bite should improve with cooler air temperatures. Try Pochant, Government, or Scoria Bays on either side of Garrison Dam with a variety of presentations. No one technique is producing success over another yet. But something different to try might be casting smaller, rattling-type crankbaits, along with casting rainbow-colored map spinners or spoons from boats towards the shore or from shore casting out. Try four to eight feet for walleye on Lake Audubon using jigging wraps and minnows with overall good success. Every fall, Lake Audubon is drawn down three feet to help reduce erosion on the lake's nesting islands, with the drawdown now underway. Look for some potential walleye activity on the east side of Lake Sakakawea along the pumping station. That's along the U.S. Highway 83 embankment, and as water moves through Sakakawea from the Audubon side, it'll take place for a few days. But the main outdoor attention is now on birds, especially pheasants, with that season underway. Just remember there are still a lot of pheasants that aren't fully colored yet, so be sure on your proper identification. In addition, with waterfall season underway, not all plots areas are open to vehicle access to set up field decoys. Depends on whether or not the landowner agrees to provide access. The ones that are open will be signed, so hunters know it's okay to drive in a field. If the permission sign isn't on the triangular plot sign, please ask for landowner permission before driving onto a field. Appreciate that report. That is Pat Stockdale, 
and she is an award-winning outdoors communicator. Again, read her work in Dakota Country Magazine and various other publications across the Midwest. Right now, it's time to get you that podcast extra from Scotty Brewer and Kyle Agri. You hear Brewer and Agri gone outdoors at 11 o'clock on Saturday morning. Not everybody can listen then, and not everybody can check out their podcast. So here is a podcast extra from Scotty Brewer and Kyle Agri. Mr. Rob Erickson. Rob uh, recently used to be a flight nurse, and he's also a former ER nurse. And we're going to talk about something that a lot of people don't necessarily talk about in the outdoor world, although we all should talk about it more, and that's outdoor safety, outdoor first aid, what happens when the unexpected happens. How are you doing, Rob? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. So, you know, we've all been outdoors and and something has not went right, you know, where you get cuts, necks, sprain. You know, I broke an ankle collecting maple syrup here. You know, who would have thought that was going to happen? But, you know, the, it's amazing the things that can happen unexpectedly. What are some of the most common injuries that happen to outdoors people when they're when they're out doing stuff that they love? Well, you're absolutely right. The risks exist all around us, unfortunately. But, um, yeah, there's certain things we can do to mitigate those risks. Since we're talking hunting and just being in the woods in gener- general, the things that I'd like to highlight, number one, first and foremost, are poses the most risk to a hunter is a fall. More specifically, a fall from a tree stand. I tried to do a little bit of research on that. I can tell you anecdotally that that's probably the thing that we transport by air most often when it uh, relates to a hunter is a fall from a tree stand and those injuries as you can imagine can be quite devastating but i did a little research i found a couple different studies one with the international hunters education association and another with the national institute of health uh the data on falls are pretty is pretty widespread but there were a couple of cited studies based specifically in tree stand falls that indicated if you hunt for a period of 10 years, uh, your chances are as high as one in three of having a fall from a tree stand. And those are high energy falls. You know, you know, most people are up there 10, 15, 20 feet. That's, you know, you're probably going 30 miles an hour when you hit the ground. That's high energy injuries, spinal cord injuries, uh, bony structure, fractures, solid organ injury. And so, you know, obvious things to avoid those things would be to wear your harness, first and foremost. It's the equivalent of wearing a life jacket in a boat. You can't stress that enough. It's all about prevention. And your harness is your number one preventer for these injuries. You know what, Robin, it's people think about the fact that it's when they're up in that tree stand that those things can happen. But truly, that first step, if the strap is not secure, if the strap is rotten or been chewed on by squirrels, that first step can be a very dangerous one. And even before that, climbing up the tree, right? Our tree pegs or our tree ladders, things we use to get up into the stand. We need to just take a moment and not be in such a hurry and, and just make sure that everything is in good shape. Absolutely. It's all about preventative maintenance, making sure the straps are good, your tree pegs are good, like you mentioned. And then also, you know, we talked about this you know, three points of contact all the time. That means you got either two feet and one hand or two hands and one foot on a point of contact at all times. And you're right, those injuries do often or those falls often happen when we're climbing in or out of that tree stand. And I know there are some devices on the market 
to help tether yourself while you're going in and out of those uh, trees. So that's, you know, another another product that people can look for. But it's basically just uh, being aware of your surroundings, being careful, getting in and out. And then also, you know, our our best friend in our pocket, our cell phone, making sure we have an ability to contact somebody when we need to and knowing, having somebody know where we're at at all times, you know, making sure that your family member or your friend knows where you're going to be, where you're going to be hunting. So in the case of a fall, uh, you can be rescued. Here's a question for you. And I don't know if you're necessarily prepared for this question, but you know, a lot of outdoorsmen, you know, we, we bang things, you know, we, twist things here and there we get these what i would call a minor injury the injuries you're talking about potentially can be very very bad very dangerous injuries and if you try and shake it off you can make it worse is there any indication as to the severity of it you know when it happens so that you know okay this this is bad this is bad i need to call somebody right away is there any way that people can they can have a clue that that's the case Sure. Well, you know, there's the obvious things. I think, you know, pain is your guide, right? I mean, if you can't put bare weight on a limb or on an extremity, um, if you have uh, numbness or tingling on a side of your body that might indicate a a nerve injury or spinal injury, um, if you were knocked unconscious for a time that would indicate a traumatic head injury, a traumatic brain injury, those are all things that we want to be very quick to, to seek out professional help and call for call for call your EMS um, to help with but you know you mentioned you know we're talking about these falls I'd also include that something that we don't always think about is you know you mentioned cuts and nicks you know we hunt with sharp broadheads we we dress our animals with very sharp knives and one of the other injuries that we do see that can sometimes be life-threatening are bleeding injuries right lacerations that involve large vessels and sometimes arteries and um i'll just put a little plug in um for everyone here to be aware of that i would suggest everyone having on their person at all times when you're in the outdoors is a tourniquet uh combat application tourniquet it's a one-handed application tourniquet that you can apply with one hand anybody can do it by our U.S. military service members. Um, it's endorsed by the Committee on Trauma, um, and it is something that can save your life in the in the case of um, large blood loss. One of the things I started doing here just this last year, you know, I've been an outdoorsman forever and ever, and it's something I never really did before, but this year I'm making sure I do it. Every time I go out in a boat, every time I go ice fishing, every time I go out into the woods, I have a little first aid kit that I take with me all the time. And I highly recommend that, you know, all outdoorsmen should probably do that. What are some of the things besides, obviously, like you said, have that tourniquet in there in that first aid kit, but what are some other basics that most outdoorsmen should have with them every time they go in the outdoors? Absolutely. That's a, a great thing to have all the time. I think everybody should carry a first aid kit. Um, you know, I've, I've given you my soapbox talk on the, on the tourniquet. And of course, that's a life-saving thing that you may not probably won't ever need. But when you need it, you'll have it and it'll be a good thing. Some of the other basic things that I would recommend is obvious uh, antiseptic wipes, simple bandages for the smaller cuts and scrapes and things like that. 
and then uh, wrappable gauze, um, something that you can apply pressure. You know, the key to bleeding is to get the bleeding to stop, and the majority of those cuts are going to be um, we're going to be able to stop that bleeding with just a little simple pressure. But wrappable gauze will help with that. And then there's products on the market now that I would recommend carrying their uh, hemostatic gauze, it's gauze that's impregnated with kaolin, or it's a mineral found in the soil that's you know shows to bleeding. So those gauzes would be a great thing to carry as well. Um, and then, of course, uh, antihistamines, people that, you know, maybe have had a bee sting or they're, they're allergic to something, make sure you have an antihistamine like Benadryl. And if you've ever had, of course, a anaphylactic type reaction, a severe uh, anaphylaxis, you want to carry an EpiPen too. Good. And then um, I would also suggest aspirin. We talk about all these injury patterns, but it's probably most likely that the person that you're hunting or fishing with is more likely to, you know, suffer from a, a heart attack. And so aspirin would be a first line of treatment. And then here's another opportunity for me to plug something, and that is to encourage all of the listeners to go out and get certified in CPR. That's awesome. This is Rob Erickson. Rob, uh, hopefully... Any of our listeners don't necessarily need uh, this information on what to do after something bad happens. Hopefully, uh, the message of prevention will go a long way. So we really appreciate you coming on Gone Outdoors. My pleasure, guys. Well, that is going to wrap things up for this weekend edition of Outdoors Live. Appreciate the podcast extra being made available by Scotty Brewer and Kyle Agri. Uh, Make sure you check out them Saturday mornings at 11 o'clock. And then also you can check out their podcast at kfgo.com. This has been the weekend edition of Outdoors Live on News Radio, the Mighty 790 KFGO and FM 104.7. Till next time, I'm Doug Lear reminding you, as always, keep your lines tight and your powder dry. Have a great one out there.